we're back. I'm Gurvir Brahm here with Chamakar Sandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into the entire series of the Squid Game. Folks, it's showtime. Hello, sir. Can I talk to you? I don't believe in Jesus. It's not that. Listen, I want to let you in on a great opportunity to... I come from a very long line of Buddhists, so find another guy to preach to. Mister, would you like to play a game with me? Who are you? Salesman, huh? You people have all kinds of tactics. Hey, I know you're only doing your job, but I really don't have time to sit here. All right, in our first segment, we're talking about the entire series of Squid Game. So if you're going to be listening to this episode, I hope you've seen the entire show because we're going to be talking about spoilers from beginning to end. Not like our usual time where we'll break down each individual episode. This time we're getting to the entire meat and potatoes of the entire series. And again, don't forget to subscribe. Gentlemen, we're talking about this cultural phenomenon. Like obviously, you know, it, it, Squid Game came out in early October and it basically took over the entire world. Yeah. Right? The cool thing about it is this is like a very unique thing. Like when's the last time there was a show that was Korean that just became the most popular show on the entire planet? Yeah, it's never happened. <laughs> Plus, I'm kind of glad we waited a while before we did a show just talking about Squid Game. Mm -hmm. I feel like shows, especially like original content, original IP that drops on streaming services, sometimes it can take a while for the word of mouth to, to spread. Like, I remember, I didn't watch Squid Game in its initial, I think, week or two. Like, I needed to carve out some time. I obviously knew that it was popping on social media. I saw the memes. And I knew that this was like a big hit, but sometimes people, you know, don't have that, I guess, you know, dialed in scheduled programming. I need to watch it because it's on a streaming platform and it's at your leisure. Uh, but hopefully by now, everyone's had a chance to watch it. And man, how does Netflix always do this? How do yeah. they continuously, like at the very bare minimum, once a year, they are going to have this cultural, phenomenal mainstream hit where they are the talk of the town and if you don't have a Netflix subscription, then you're going to probably sign up for just like that one month or that period to watch what everybody else is watching right now. Who doesn't have a Netflix I know, subscription I at know, this point? I but um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, they always find a way to just cut through whatever people are talking about and bring it back to, hey, have you seen this show? But again, uh, just to also round out, the, the, I'm really glad we got a chance to kind of sit with it too. I'm glad we're doing like an epilogue on the entire series because right. we get to like kind of sit with it, see what the world kind of talked about, and now we can kind of just tie a bow on it. For sure. But one thing I want to talk about is why do you think this show just took over the world? I think there's a few reasons. I think the concept, first of all, right? Just the, you know, once you start watching the show uh, and it is like pretty out there, people are in debt they are at the lowest point of their lives and they are willing to participate in, in, in a series of games where their life is quite literally on the line for money. So you take out the kind of gore and like the, uh, the actual, I guess, concept of what Squid Games is. There's a lot of relatable themes, but also I think it's, you know, part of this fabric of the emergence of Korean cinema slash now TV. You know, it's just a part of the world that is just a, an embarrassment of riches right now. Uh, it doesn't matter where you look. And I feel like over here in the West, we're just literally scratching uh, the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we're potentially gonna get 
over the next 10, 15, 20 years just because of the incredible talent coming out of that part of the world. And this is yet just another example of what they can produce. The crazy thing is this show was actually made back in 2009. The, the, the director and the creator of the show basically had, has been sitting on this property for over a decade. And I think it's almost more fortuitous that he actually released the project now mm. because it needed something like where I think Parasite is going to be the, the foot that kicked in the door for everything else that follows it because they needed something to completely just break through pop culture everyone was watching Parasite at one point and they saw that it won best picture and it was like this ultimate form of validation that like hey it it got the biggest prize that's available in the entire world when it comes to filmmaking not only that but then we have the director go up there and he says a line that I think cut through pop culture because he said that if you just get past that one inch line of subtitles you can open yourself up to a whole new world of cinema. Yeah. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. But that's basically the, the essence of what he was talking about. And I think it's basically like a fighter. Like, it's, it's a Conor McGregor, right? He goes, he wins a championship, and then he comes out, and then he delivers a line that the rest of the world goes and hears, and then they're like, oh, I got to check this guy out. Because yeah. not only did he deliver by actually winning a championship, he went and did a promo for the next whatever that's coming up. And you're not only going to then start checking out Conor McGregor, but you're like, oh, I'm going to now check out some other fights in the UFC. Yeah. And also you talk about how they were sitting on this project from 2009. This was a bit of a weird one for me because word of mouth is not how I came across Squid Game. It was memes. Social media wasn't as big as it was now back in 20, 2009. So it's almost like the perfect storm. This, this got made at the right time. But for me, it was, I was like seeing these memes on social media and I didn't get it. Because I hadn't watched the show and, I, and it was kind of like, well, I'm missing out on something here. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, like, it goes without saying that, like, Korean culture is having a moment in pop culture in general. Like, obviously, K-pop is popping. Obviously, these kinds of movies are popping. Korean food has become, like, much more popular. But let's talk about the actual show. Hey, Sung-woo! Oh, Sung-woo, my man! What happened? What the hell are you doing here? Your mother and I were talking the other day. She told me you were out of the country on a business trip. What was that guy talking about, huh? You can't be a dead. The same Sangwoo who went to SNU, right? Number one, like you said, you came across it because of memes. Yeah. But what was your initial impression when you first started watching Squid Games? Well, it hooked me straight away. First of all, let's just, let's just talk about the two options that you have. Of, well, the three options. Obviously, if you're Korean and you you know you understand Korean, you speak uh, Korean, you know fluently then you're going to watch it without any subtitles and without any dub uh, but for the vast majority of the world you pretty much have two options right you can watch it in korean with english subtitles or you can watch it with an english voice over dub and listen if you're not watching this with subtitles you're doing it all wrong you like, are doing it all wrong. like it's just the the voiceover dubbing work just is horrible like and not just this kind of show any kind of show like and I think it kind of goes back to you know the, the point about just getting past that you know that one centimeter or that what two centimeters of, of text at the bottom. It's not that bad. It's actually pretty easy as long as you pay attention and you're not looking at your phone every five or ten minutes. That's my favorite thing too. Like at the end of the day, when I watch something that has subtitles, I'm forced to pay attention. Yeah. And I really love that about it because like again, like you said, that you can be stuck on your phone all day and then that just becomes like a multitasking kind of activity. Right. I don't want to do all that. I want to be paying attention to the actual movie I'm watching, be like so zoned into it. Yeah. And subtitles kind of force you to do that. I think it's also a thing where like I'm conditioned because I watch anime as well. I just, 
I can't be one of those people that watches a dubbed version. I just don't get it. There's so much emotion that doesn't get across when you're actually watching that. Uh, any kind of like anime or again, even in this case, but it just doesn't get across. I can't even imagine a situation where a dub would be better than a sub. Right. So I'm team sub all day, number one. But this show automatically hooked me, mm-hmm. right? Like you're sitting there and first you're just like going through this story with uh, Gihan, who's just like this sympathetic character who's like obviously in like a very rough spot in his life. And like, you know, he's a bit of a piece of shit. He's, yeah. he's gambling away his mother's money. He's, he's should be taking care of his daughter when he's not. But at the end of the day, like you can tell that there's something else going on. Like he has like like a mental block or like he he's, has like some sort of mental health issues or whatever it is that's kind of stopping him. Now we're seeing him go into this like crazy situation and it, it's all this like foundation has been set through these like really amazing characters right off the bat. Yeah, it's like he's living with his mother. He hasn't, I don't, I don't know if he still had a job, but he talked about early on in the show about going back and doing chauffeur driving or something like that. I think like he's that. a driver, yeah. He has a kid and his, I guess, previous wife has obviously left him and remarried and so he's got some I guess visitation access to his daughter yeah obviously some sort of gambling addiction as well gambling addiction he you know owes money to a loan shark like you name it signs away his kidney yeah um (laughs) and the little money that he does get whether he's stealing it from his mother or whatnot he's taking it to the racetrack that little scene where he like steals away the credit card from his mom yeah. And then just puts it in, seeing how happy he is to like actually be able to guess the code, or guess the code, and go be able to gamble. Like that yeah. just shows how deep within his addiction that he really is. Yeah. But then, yeah, like you know, I think the first couple of episodes really kind of like you know plant all the seeds, and but once we get into Squid Game, you know, once we get into this you know situation on this island, and uh, we start to see and you know all these other kind of characters that we're gonna start to get to know and love and hate the and care for. The slow build too. Like yeah. the way they're able to, number one, establish all these characters, get us to the island and it almost feels like, oh, this is like kind of fun. Yeah. And then you see like they're going to start playing these kids games and then you just get introduced to, boom, somebody gets shot. And you're like, wait, what the hell just happened? When they're playing red light, green light, yeah. that is obviously like the turning point in the entire first act. Yeah, That just changes the entire feel of the entire show because yeah. it went from like a character study to like oh this is a game of survival yeah this is very different than when i was anticipating that i was going to watch yeah not only does red light green light just change like the whole your whole perception of what you're going to be watching because you're only in episode two and obviously on netflix you can see it's like oh there's nine episodes to go but they tell you yeah there's six games in total and immediately your brain starts to do the math all these people just died there's still a good few hundred you know people left over and yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna strap in for a, for a bit of a journey here because we don't know what kind of games they're gonna play. It's super unpredictable. You don't know who's gonna survive, who's, not, who's gonna get killed. Is the lead character gonna make it? Because that's who we kind of started this journey on. So that's the coolest thing about Squid Game is the fact that it you know, sets everything up and it's completely unpredictable all the way through. Yeah, the great thing is like, you're right. They did have like a main character, obviously with Gihan, but like they could have easily switched it and had anybody else kind of become the main character after the fact. Yeah. Because the story is told in such a way that you really start caring about five or six people, right? Like to the point where like, you're like, all right, well, I don't want to lose Ali or I don't want to lose Ilnam or I don't want to lose Sabiak. Like these are all very important characters that I, I can't conceive myself 
like losing in the show yeah right and it's only because we know we're in this like life or death survival situation that we know we're gonna lose everybody yeah right it, it's a it, it's a guaranteed situation so you're like almost making peace while you're starting to endear yourself with these characters and the cool thing about some of these characters is after red light green light when they unanimously vote to actually leave squid game so it's like first of all okay they've been duped into the situation that they were completely unaware of yes when they actually leave and then we start to get a little bit more color in terms of what is ali's life at home some of these side characters we actually get a bit more story in terms of where they are in the outside world, what's going on, and what ultimately makes them decide to voluntarily actually come back. And when they do come back, you're like, whoa, like that's a major choice there for all of these characters to actually come back and because they could have left and, and be free and, and not risk their lives, but ultimately what this show sets up is is they're almost doomed either way. Yeah. It's like you leave and you're dead or you're going to be on the streets and you're going to die in some way, shape or form. Or you come back, you risk it all to live a, a more prosperous life down the road with all this money. Yeah, yeah. Just to skip ahead all the way to the basically the end of the entire show, it's interesting because obviously we'll talk about the reveal of everything that's going on. But the idea is that the people that are running the entire show, the hosts of the actual Squid Game, their reasoning is that hey, listen, we're giving these people the ability to say no. They can leave anytime they want, but they stayed, and that's why this is all happening. Mm. It's supposed to create some sort of moral ambiguity with essentially through the entire duration of the show. But when you go back and you watch that first red light, green light episode, half of those people die and had no idea what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. So any kind of moral ambiguity that you might have or sympathy that you might have towards the hosts should be completely gone. They are not good people. They are not just offering these people a way out. They are complete pieces of crap. And that's like the whole point right like it's that they have this warped sense of perception that they can just run these games and they think that the fact that they're giving one person or whoever wins money that they can just get away with this kind of stuff and that is why this show works on more than one level and i think that's again what we're talking about but i think that's why the show has legs going forward yeah and also i think one of the things that they showed us really well is literally present the hierarchy of power in the class system like you have the super elite the super rich and they like are at a stage of their lives where the only way they can get a kick is by seeing other people die in a game like this and then right at the bottom end of that scale is you have people that are literally just like either working class or you know completely at the bottom of the food chain like they have nothing going for them they are literally on the cusp of desperation in the outside world and to the point where they are willing to enter a game where they could ultimately die in order to change their fortunes moving forward that is a lot that's a big you know that's a lot of disparity between one end of the, the the class system and the and the complete other end of the class system and um i think that's one of the things that squid games does really well is a showcase class system you know the, the the politics in the world and for as fun as the journey is and for as cool as some of the squid game concepts actually are the actual games themselves i think it's a lot deeper than that the, the more you kind of really appreciate what the the filmmakers are trying to do here yeah and it's, it's the best metaphor of all is the fact that yeah it might be like appealing like the idea of like capitalism and all this kind of stuff but what what really is the, the overarching 
problem in the entire show and also what they're trying to demonstrate in society is the fact that like these people are living in debt it's like the system is built in a way where they're fucked yeah and like they they were gonna be like i said before they're gonna be fucked regardless whether they're in the games or they're out of the games half of them are gonna be dead from loan sharks half of them are gonna be dead from whatever other kind of situations that happen obviously his mom died from like diabetes because she couldn't treat them yeah like it, had she had the means i'm sure she could have treated that a lot earlier and we're told that this is an ongoing problem because yeah. it's not just a one-off because there is a history of Squid Game winners. Yeah. Right? So, like, this is something that happens all the time. There's always going to be people out there that this group can cherry-pick that are so desperate that they're willing to ultimately risk losing their life in order to hopefully win some money. The first book, like, uh, obviously, uh, the we, we haven't talked about the cop in the episode, but the cop that basically infiltrates the entire game and tries to see... Every, like, basically becomes our eyes to show what is happening really behind the scenes. Right. And what he shows is that their their first set of games, they end up starting in, what, 1987? Which is right around the time when there was an economic collapse through the entire world. So small that they right? pinpointed that date as well. Very specifically. Yeah. And then what it does is just shows you that, hey, this isn't just an issue that happened there. It's gotten worse. So where there was just one small book of a few contestants at that time, now we have a whole shelf of contestants that are all about to put their lives on the line just to maybe, maybe win the lottery yeah such a great show obviously we're talking about this 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 kind of stuff we can talk about for days and days but i want to get into some of the characters as well yeah because some of these characters we talked about gihan a little bit and his situation from being being a gambling addict and basically going through his entire journey he's become like this really sympathetic character that you start caring about but he's a very complex character as well because you know deep down his emotions and his intention is great but he's just such a he, he makes such bad decisions yeah a lot of the time and you, you can see that a lot of the time even when he goes through the show we can talk about one of my favorite episodes Gambu where he becomes like best friends with the old old man Ilnam and it's another thing where he had the choice to pick a different partner when they're doing those kinds of games but he chose to pick the old man because he's he thinks of himself as a good person and he thinks that's the right thing to do plus by that point he has a kinship with the Ilnam mm-hmm. throughout the the various other games and what have you, right? Yeah. And I think Gihan, his overall character arc is obviously the most fleshed out. Yeah. It has, uh, yeah, ultimately he becomes a redeemable character in the end. He yeah. he ultimately makes the right decision. We obviously we'll talk about the ending in a, and you know where this potentially leads off to uh, down the road. But he's a completely different person to to when we first meet him. I feel like the the final shot that we see of him, he he, he seemed like a strong, confident really determined character whereas at the beginning he's a bit of a loof so a complete 180 in terms of where he starts in the show and where he ends in the show as well which is to show like not only that your circumstances can change you but like just having means can completely change how you are right the next person i really want to talk about who i think is going to emerge as the biggest star coming out of the show is uh jung hyon who is sebyeok hey what are you doing i lost you won stop why the hell would you try to do that Making sure that I won, is that what this is? You think I'll be thankful that you did this, huh? Take another throw. And I still wouldn't be able to win. Uh, just let me lose this thing in style, okay? Gee, that's bullshit. Stop acting cool and just do a real throw! She's actually a former Korea's Next Top Model runner-up, I believe. And she's the one who I feel is going to have the best career going forward. Yeah, I read somewhere that she, I think she's the most followed... Um, person on Instagram from she, Korea or like one of the I think maybe the, the most followed female or something like that she went from about 400,000 followers before the show started to now she's in the 20, 20 millions 
which is a ridiculous growth in the past month. Yeah. Imagine that. And social media followers aside, I just felt like she gave a really strong performance. This is her first acting gig as an actual, like, this is her first role. She's been in short stuff before. Yeah. But this is the first one where she actually was a character on a television show. Yeah. And to show that, number one, uh, she was able to put on a performance like that was tremendous. But on top of that, just as a character, that character is another one that is, like, just so deep and you get to, like, really, like, if you're an actor, you get to, like, gnaw your teeth into because... She's somebody else who has is coming from North Korea, has all these bad circumstances. Her, par- her dad dies, her mom's still stuck in North Korea, her brother is stuck basically in uh, a foster home or whatever. And she is taking this unduly stress of like trying to get her family back together because she's the only person, she has a survivor's guilt that she's the only person that actually made it out of North Korea. Yeah. Which is pretty fucked up. Yeah, and also like she has this kind of edge about her like she just has this crazy good screen presence where yeah. initially she, there wasn't much dialogue she isn't really saying much but she's there and she's intriguing and you're, you're just trying to like find out more about her like oh I'm down for a Cybiok prequel or something like that you know she's obviously someone that has been through a lot and uh, ultimately like with every other character that we kind of meet there are some that we care about that we some way absolutely hate um, when she gets killed it's like a bit of a heartbreak you're like yeah. damn it man could we have just kind of figured out a way for her to survive and make it to a, a you know, second season or I think she's this that, that scene specifically might be the strongest scene in the entire show I think that's probably one of the, the the strongest things I can say about Squid Game is both from a script point of view storytelling point of view and also from uh, an, an acting point of view these people needed to get us emotionally invested because we, they knew that when they die, when these characters die, or the vast majority of these characters die, you either have to be happy that they're finally dead, or you have to be sad that they're dying. Yeah. If you don't feel one of those two things, then they did not do a good job in terms of building up these characters throughout the, the various episodes, because then their deaths ultimately don't mean anything. And But because these deaths mean so much every single time it happens, just is kudos to, you know, like I said, the, the writing of the show, but more importantly, the performance of these actors. Yeah, I think that's dead on, because the games and the concept of the show is great, but it's not about that. It's, this show is completely about characters, there are empathy towards them, and the relatability towards the characters as well. It's so strong in terms of performance and writing, and... That is the bulk of the show. The games are almost a bonus. Yeah. Because obviously they keep the show going and that's the plot. Yeah. But what we're, like the meat and potatoes of the show is how good the performances are and how great these characters are yeah. written. I almost feel like the <laughs> the games themselves in many ways reminded me of when well, I watched the first season of Prison Break. Like how are they going to break out of this room? How yeah. are they break? So it kind of like, that's the cool thing about the game themselves. Like how is, how would how would I win? How would I approach this game? So there's that aspect of it. But because we are emotionally invested in these characters, like I said, there are some deaths that happen. We're like, yes, that person's finally dead. Thank God I hate that guy. Or God damn, that's a heartbreaker. I really didn't want to see her die. That's a really great comparison. Prison Break would be like, the first season of Prison Break felt like this revelation of like characters that we care about in a crazy circumstance that we can't relate to. Yeah, and in an isolated place, in a very isolated place, it's almost like this like bottle episode kind of like series. Yeah, and we we basically have to just hang out with these people for like a whole season. Yeah, and I hope that this show can avoid all the mistakes that Prison Break did because obviously they they didn't. I, I think after the first season, it was complete like 
it was a terrible diversion from that. <clears throat> but on a side note, I enjoyed the Manhunt, Manhunt season, which was season two. After that, it went completely nosedive for me. For me, it was nosedive right off that. Fair enough. Um, but that's a great comparison because, yeah, people endeared themselves so much to these characters. And again, like there, there's so many great characters in this show, but beyond the ones that we just talked about, we have Sang-woo, who's like this business businessman who like obviously doesn't do as well as he puts on. His family still thinks he's doing great. And the cool thing about him as a character, he's actually like almost childhood friends with Gi-hun. And Gi-hun's thinking this entire time, and so does his mum, that here's this guy that kind of grew up in the same neighbourhood as gi did. And like almost comparing him. That's probably the worst thing anyone as a child could ever have is like when a parent compares you to someone else's child. And like look how successful they are. Or look how they are doing so well in life. That's like the ultimate like slap in the face. And then here we have the revelation. Like you said, is like... It's all a, a fugazi situation. It's all false. It's all kind of like just he's been just lying this entire time. Yep. He's just he's made just as bad mistakes as Gihan in many, many various ways. Yeah, and then we also have Ali, who is basically the other person in their little stable of friends within yeah. this like prison essentially, where he's the innocent in this entire show, right? Like he is an immigrant who comes from India or Pakistan. Is it Pakistan? I think it's Pakistan. Yeah, so he comes from Pakistan. He shows up in Korea and he wants to start a new life with his family. He learns the language. He starts working there, but he becomes like stuck in debt. The reason is because his boss isn't paying him. Right. He goes and does a situation where he feels completely lost. He goes and steals some money from them, runs away, gets his family out of there and decides, screw it, I'll just play these games. I'll put myself on the line because his circumstances were so poor that he's willing to do that. It just shows the extremes that he's willing to go to. And no matter what, through the entire show, you can tell that he's just the innocent, completely the innocent. Like, it never feels like at any point that he becomes a bad character. He has something to redeem himself for. He's always been a good guy. But it's unfortunate that that one act that basically he committed that was bad comes out and bites him on the ass in the end because someone comes and steals something from him which ends up resulting in his death. Yeah, and also it's kind of like he is too nice for his own good mm-hmm. because ultimately you know, trusting somebody else in that marbles scene like mm-hmm. when they're playing marbles in, the, in that episode it's like he just hands over you know, the, the, the marbles and in return he gets all these rocks. And yeah. it's funny because he's in a situation where he actually A, won that game he shouldn't have been killed and yet does get killed because he got screwed by I someone who trusted. I was watching that. I was like, why are you giving him your marbles, you moron? Yeah. What is yeah. going on? But yeah, the last person I really want to talk about is Il-Nam. Oh, right. Il-Nam, right? Like, obviously he plays this old man that is basically like, he's willing to play these games because he has a tumor in his head and he's just like, fuck it, I'm just going to do something like that I can enjoy my last part of my life with instead of just withering away wherever he like we don't know where he came from before that right 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 and then yeah he's he's playing these games even during the first game red light green light you see him have like this boyish kind of uh enthusiasm about the game despite the fact that he's seen other people die right this is after the fact that he sees people get gunned down he first he's just chilling back and then he sees people get gunned down and then he starts playing the game once he has a like a handle of it and at first you think like well this guy's just like this weird uh old man with like dementia and he's this innocent and all this kind of stuff and that's the kind of journey you go on with and you even go through that when you have that marbles episode uh genbu where he becomes like best buds with gihan and it's unfortunate because as he's endearing himself with gihan and as Gihan's the one that kind of takes care of him and that helps us kind of with the redemption aspect of Gihan as well. And then you see 
Gihan kind of try to take advantage of him by taking uh, when he should have lost that marbles game. He keeps that going by basically convincing him that because of his dementia, he's winning. And then it basically turns the tide, he goes and eventually finds out that he knew that he was cheating, comes back, and basically kills that old man. And he has to go through this terrible thing. And he feels terrible about it. But as we reveal later on, we find out that he's the head honcho of this entire thing, and he's the host. He's been running this. He's why Aldous basically exists. And that was a crazy plot twist. Let's talk about that ending. How did you feel about that? Yeah, didn't see it coming. I did not predict that whatsoever. Um, what's interesting about Il-Nam is he is tied to, or the character is tied to this show for, in my opinion, for two different reasons. Number one, he is so ingrained with the, the major twist in terms of who's actually behind Squid Games. Number one. And number two, he is 100% the most memed character <laughs> from this show. Like the vast majority of memes that I saw on Squid Game were all revolving around Il-Nam, whether he has to make um, one of the choices when they have to vote or some of the facial expressions he makes, like talked about his enthusiasm for playing red light, green light. Um, so yeah, I think he's just going to be end up being one of those you know incredible characters um, amongst a whole host of great characters. You know, I can see you know some some you know creative people out there making some fan art where it's just a, a collage of player four six and pl- you know player one, player four or five, and what have you. But yeah, I thought it was great. Didn't see it coming, and I think it played off nicely because Gihan and Ilnam are so ingrained with their relationship and the experience inside. Squid Game that when they actually got out and Gihan actually sees wow this guy is the reason we all went through this and why so many people died and even then quite literally on his deathbed is still playing another game and ultimately passes away so I thought it was a cool twist I didn't see it coming and uh, I thought it worked out pretty well yeah and also you see that at the end obviously that kind of situation happens. But then when Gihan actually wins the games, he goes and just lets his life kind of fall apart all over again. His mom passed away. He goes deeper into like a world of nothing, right? Like he he doesn't like do anything. He's still an alcoholic. He's probably still gambling. He's doing all this thing. Like whatever he was doing before, he didn't touch his money at all. Like zero, right? And you see that kind of happen. And then he sees the old man, he goes and rebuilds himself, and then he goes and takes uh, care of Sang Wu's family and Seibiak's family. He commits all, like, he does all the promises that he was supposed to do. And then, as he's about to leave the country and go see his daughter, he turns around and decides, no, that he's going to go and do something about this. That's what it feels like. That's the conclusion. Like That's the feeling that we're kind of left with. Yeah, that, that final scene, it's like, as a viewer, you're like, bro! go to your daughter like you know you haven't seen her in so long you're, you're already a bad father <laughs> like you you made it you made it through this crappy situation you've got money you've got your life you've basically helped cover everyone all of the friends that you made you know, inside squid game like their families are taken care of and what have you and then he decides to yeah essentially i feel like uh, the general sentiment is he's going to go back and almost take down the whole hierarchy, this whole empire, and this whole group that has created all of these games. And so, I, I know a lot of people had a problem with this ending. How did you feel about it? I didn't mind it for a few different reasons. You kind of know that when Netflix has a hit, they want to get a sequel. And like, I feel like, yeah, we're going to get season two. 
Yeah. I I don't mind it at all. Like I I didn't have an issue with everybody. Like I understand the idea that he should go and see his daughter. Right. I agree. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, he sees a greater injustice that's happening with these games in general because he sees yeah. that people are still gonna deal with this even after he's done because he sees the person who was trying to recruit him. Yeah. To to this and he sees some like that exact same person doing to somebody else. I tell you what, this reminds me of. All right, so you know when Saw first came out. And it was like, all right, how are they going to get out of this room? And then we got a, a couple of sequels. I was so down for the sequels because, all right, new setup, new room, uh, new set of rules. How this, how are these new group of people going to get out of the situation, right? I feel like with Squid Game and the inevitable seasons we're probably going to get out of this over the next couple of years, we're going to get new games. You know, we're going to get some more incredible characters. I just hope that they don't rinse this to the point where it almost devalues the franchise. It's like, have a, an, an end game in, in, in sight, like pay off Gihan's relationship with his daughter, like, you know, really like close it off. I'm down for like a trilogy of seasons or something like that. But if we're getting to like season like six or seven of Squid Game, because it's just so damn popular, for me, I'm gonna end up giving up at some point. Yeah, I think three seasons is pretty ideal. Well, I have I have an idea of this. For, so first off, I think number one, obviously the creator has said that he, He's not sure if he's going to do season two yet. Right. Right. He's, he literally sat on the script for like a decade. And mm-hmm. the fact that he is now being approached to basically fast-tracking a second season, I wonder if he already has an idea for it or if they're just figuring out the financials. Because apparently the show only cost about 20-something million to actually produce. Right. But it brought in like hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue for Netflix. It was like 900 hundred million dollars or what they uh, call the, I guess the, the the value the the economic impact in terms of what it brings to Netflix in yeah. terms of subscribers and eyeballs on the product and what have you so, so in I'm, terms of bang for your buck complete smash it I'm sure the creators just like you know what I just want to get paid and I have no problem with that I think he sh- I obviously deserves to get paid I think the way they got to approach this is almost the opposite of prison break where you don't go back and do the exact same concept all over again, over and over and over. Because I, I know like a lot of people are thinking, maybe, because there was one piece of dialogue where one of the VIPs says, oh, I love the Korean games the most, which is to imply that there are other games happening all over the right. world. Right. That's cool that there are other games happening all over the world, and I think you almost have to explore that at this point, because why would there only be like one small country that is basically running these games where all these rich people from all around the world got you this stuff's happening yeah. right I, I wouldn't get that but I think what you could do is basically have all these games happening all around the world and basically create like a squid game cinematic universe almost where I, I, I my ideal situation would be these games are happening at the same time for us right we're seeing the next Korean one the American one the Japanese one whatever but you want to expand the show, but you don't want to lose the core of the show. Season two right. should explore the expansion for us, see what's happening from all around the world, but you also want to tie it in with the original season. So I think the idea that that Gihan is basically trying to infiltrate this organization and try to uh, figure out how they can like basically overturn it, that should be something that's explored almost like as like a B-line story or like an A-line story while the games are also concurrently happening. Sure. Right, I think you can kind of explore all of that kind of happening at the same time. Third season is basically the coup to kind of overthrow it. Yeah. I think like that's the approach that I would ideally, like again, you're right, they should they should go in with a game plan, but they should know what the end is. Right. Because that's going to be the most important thing. And I don't think you overextend it for season after season after season. Like two or three seasons, that's about it. Yeah, so there's a lot of mythology here, right? So you're going to have like winners of all of these other Squid Games happening around the world, mm-hmm. right? So maybe it's a coalition of the, the, the world of winners. Exactly. Then you have previous winners that may want to come back 
who knows where they are the previous winners are out there in the world somewhere with all this money and living some sort of life we don't know where they are or who they are right it'll be interesting to see if they could take because you're yeah, right i feel like the korean story has been told right we had all these characters we got uh, got a pretty good variety of different uh backgrounds in terms of what is happening there the economic impact and like uh, the hierarchy of the, the the class system i would love to see what you know a brazilian version or an african version or a european version or like you said an american version this looks like i think at the at the same time yes i do want to see those but i don't want to see them as like a season by themselves no i think that would water down the show i almost feel like you can have them all take place at the same time exactly in yeah, season, that, that's what i mean too we're just dipping into the african one or the or the british one or the american one while we have gihan trying to figure out how is he going to take this like worldwide organization down where everybody has all this money and power and, and political sway to yeah. get some of this done. Yeah, exactly. And it also is interesting because like this is the complete opposite of what actually happens in the show with the frontman, who is basically a, like, the brother of the cop who ends up, quote-unquote, dying. We don't know if he actually dies. Right. But he, he goes and... He he starts running the actual. He joins them yeah. after winning. Right. right. So it's a complete opposite of what happens with Gion. So if anything, you have this great built-in story where you have Gion in this one singular storyline where he's trying to overthrow them, and you have the previous winner who joins them. So yeah. you're basically having like these guys kind of clash philosophies against Absolutely, each other, yeah. and that can be the overarching like thread that kind of weaves them together throughout the entire show. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that would be a really interesting place to go. Also, just to quickly circle back. Jun Ho, the cop, definitely not dead. They, <laughs> I don't think so. They didn't show him dead, so no, why no, would he no. be dead? Yeah, yeah. I think you got to come back and you, you team him up with Gion right now. Give, give him so. the resources that uh, he obviously has available to him now. Yeah. And then he can go and do whatever the hell he wants and like try to infiltrate that properly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, plus, they've done such a great job of like introducing us to a variety of different characters. Like they can do the same thing, you know, with all of these, you know, other Squid Games around the world. I'm so down to see other characters be, you know, introduced to our world. I find it hard to believe the host would miss a night like tonight. He asked me to apologize on his behalf. Did some problem happen here? Not at all. It's just a personal matter of the host. The remaining games will be held as scheduled. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Well, I hope not. Let's get into a few of our categories. Who's the best character in the show? Wow. I think I'm going to go for Gihun. Um, I feel like it's the character arc given what we're presented with from episode one to episode nine is the most in-depth he's obviously the lead of the show and i kind of like what he kind of goes through he goes he has the ebbs and flows you know there's a, there's times where you think he's an absolute prick there's times where you feel so sorry for him um and ultimately you know like i said at the final shot is a completely different person to when we first meet him he's got pink loudish hair he's in a suit he's confident and he's determined he's on a mission he's got he's got purpose he's trying to bring these guys down so for me it's Gihon I think uh, I completely agree he is definitely the best character but I think also like tying with him is Sabiak because not only is she the scene stealer so many like so often yeah but she just plays a massive character in terms of like just likability the relatability of the show just she provides a whole different side that I really loved, and I think she stole the show so often. What about best best episode? What was the best episode for you? For me, it was uh, episode six, Gambu. It's the it's the one with the marbles, and like I said, it's the, the death of so many uh, beloved characters, and plus it has a connection to the twist at the end of the series. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, that was the most emotionally uh, invested I've been in this entire show. 
by far. Uh, what about best scene? I feel like this one's tough because there was not only great deaths, there was great uh, emotional scenes and cool stuff. It was just a lot that you could pick from. So what did you end up going with? It's funny because for me, it's actually uh, Sambiok and and her ultimate death and, and that whole scene. And Ga- Gambu gives us, uh, I think, the the best of everything. I think the best deaths, the best series, uh, uh, the best episode overall, yeah. some of the best scenes. Um, and ultimately, you know, her her the path to her death in this episode and that final scene for me was kind of like one of the biggest uh, uh, emotionally weighted scenes in the entire show yeah i think it's the the best acted episode or i think that's the best acted scene in the entire show yeah like i completely agree that was my my pick for best scene as well you see the relationship with gihan and sabiak and he's just like man like it's it's so tragic that this is what's happening with her and it's like she's slowly dying and then to see the reveal that he, while Gihan's trying to get help to save her life, which obviously isn't coming, yeah, you know that's not coming. But then it gets worse that you turn around and you see that Sangwoo actually killed her. It's it, they double down on making him into the villain of the entire show. Yeah, I do want to give an honorable mention though. I was really debating whether this should be the best scene as well. So this is kind of like maybe my my one B, red light, green light. It just sets the tone mm-hmm. for the rest of the show. Like after that first game, Give and after see everyone die, you're ultimately every single game you are putting yourself in the the the, the shoes of these ultimately contestants, and you're trying to figure out how would I play this game? What would I do in that situation? Yeah. And red light, green light, that sets the tone for it. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, what about star rating wise in terms of? In terms of quality, star rating wise, where do you give it? Five being the best show you've ever seen, zero being the worst. Where's this one end up? I'm gonna get four point two five. It's like one of the best shows of this year. I feel like uh, pacing wise, it could have been a little bit tighter here and there from being like really nitpicky. Uh, but overall, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it was like really original. I love this kind of wave of Korean content that we're getting right now. And you know, like it's not that often that I see subtitled movies or TV shows. It's kind of like. Once in a Blue Moon, this is up there. This is definitely up there for me, one of the the best ones. Yeah, I'm going with four. I think it's such a strong show. It's one of the best shows of the year. Obviously, it's the most popular show of the year. I I really hope that a lot of of these actors get opportunities outside of the show and they really get to carry on, not only in Korean Korean cinema, but if it's going to be Korean cinema, I hope it spreads throughout the entire world. If they're going to be coming into like English cinema, which I think a few of them are definitely going to be doing that, I think they have... A bright future, especially for Jung Hyun, who plays Sibiok. I think she's just like, she's got such a presence on screen, and you can tell that she's going to be a big star somewhere. I, I want, don't know where. I want somewhere. her in a Tarantino movie. That's a great call. Yeah. I would love to see that. Like, if she's a part of Kill Bill 3 or something like that, yeah. I'm down. But yeah, it's what a great show. I really enjoyed the hell out of it. I know we're a little bit late to the party in terms of actually talking about it. It was cool that collectively everybody was watching this one show and we all got to talk about it and enjoy it together. It felt very reminiscent of like back in the day when you hear the like water cooler talk of everybody talking about Seinfeld or everybody talking about Friends. You don't get that moment that often anymore. Yeah, and like I said, it's a, it's a cultural hit. Like I saw so many people wearing uh, costumes from or inspired uh, by Squid Game for Halloween this year. Yeah. It was like everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that's when you know that something's really kind of like, you know, made it to the mainstream where there's like costumes and masks available. And, and like I said, just the memes, uh, the, the, these memes are going to be around for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with the uh, the girl standing by the tree, turning her head around. Like yeah. that is like, it's a very iconic image. Yeah. That's really t- transcended pop culture. Yeah. Plus, I've actually seen some kind of more 
um, friendlier versions of Squid Games. I saw a version of the Glass Bridge game where people kind of essentially put like um, blue exercise mats and underneath was just water. And so like you had to make a choice where you're going left or, or to the right. I can see kind of like a almost like a, a TV show version um, of Squid Game where obviously no one's dying. Like a non-death. Like a non-death version of it. <laughs> yeah. I can see stuff like that happening. There's so many ways to spin this IP, you know, and I'm very curious because Netflix owns this. They own the rights to everything related to Squid Game. I can see a video game. I can see obviously, you know, more sh- more series. I can see I can see a variety of different things. So it's gonna be very interesting to keep an eye on, I guess, what is gonna become a developing story of where Squid Game goes moving forward. Yeah, I think Netflix is definitely sitting down right now and having big conversations to see, number one, how they can turn this into a franchise in like a multimedia kind of format yeah but you're completely right on that but also like just to see how they can keep the people that are watching this staying on their platform because uh that's the next thing i want to talk about like how like just what this means as a long-term success for netflix because these netflix originals are really what's gonna like be the thing that sustains netflix going forward because essentially at this point it's become a studio yeah right just as paramount is going to be putting out projects just as warner brothers is going to be pumping out dunes and pumping out uh dc properties and disney's gonna be pumping out marvel and star wars content forever netflix has to have established franchises that will keep a lot of people staying with their properties because they can't just be the the thing that's there where everybody can just watch old movies because that's going to be costly for them and it's not really going to benefit them in the long run they got to create their own content i think that's really what this uh this show and basically what for the past couple of years have really shown that the netflix's strategy is completely pivoted to original content yeah i feel like netflix has been actually i guess investing in this for a while Stranger Things, we're about to get season four, Stranger Things, that's completely owned 100% um, by Netflix. They bought the rights to The Witcher. I cannot wait for season two of The Witcher. You know, and we've obviously seen things like The Queen's Gambit. Yes, it was a one-off, but Netflix, Ozark is another one that Netflix owns completely outright 100%. So Netflix has got already a history now of shows that they own the rights to. It's completely baked into their system. They don't have to keep doing renewals of other like popular shows. And I think you know five ten years down the road when you look back and you're like oh ozark it's on netflix stranger things that's netflix and you know the witcher or you know name uh, a plethora of other different shows yeah that's never leaving netflix netflix is never going to be like hey hbo max you can uh, take this off our hat no we own the rights to this this is staying in the netflix family forever so this is going to be i think the uh, ultimately the evolution of all these streaming platforms what's wrong with you you know she's not allowed to be here. What is she, your little pet? Yeah. Am I your pet? What? No! And why do you treat me like garbage? What? You obviously, you, you mentioned Disney Plus. They're sitting on tons of IP. But they did a smart thing where they basically, you know, bought the rights to um, content that's already got 50, 60, 70 year history. Whereas what Netflix has had to do is basically figure out of ways of making their own IP, their own content, and it's pretty much from scratch all been original. I mean, the only thing that has been a legitimate adaptation has been The Witcher, based upon all of the the video games that they turned into a, a great show. Outside of that, everything else is pretty much on the money original from Netflix. You know what's a, a, a weird thing for Netflix to kind of deal with is, number one, yes, you do have to almost create a property kind of like a similar to like what the MCU's done or what DC's doing where you have to have like these transcendent pop culture 
huge properties yeah like and that they want to create a universe with right like I'm, I'm sure if like they wanted to create a stranger things universe and they, we know that they want to make spin-offs they want to make it so that they can keep milking that property for whatever it's worth and i get that you have to do that but the cool thing is what netflix gets to do on the other side is they get to create original property that these studios don't really take as much of a chance on anymore. Right. Back in the day, you'd see, yes, throughout the entire year, you'd get all these big blockbusters and tentpole properties and all that kind of stuff, but how often, at the end of the year, you usually get a few of our Oscar-nominated properties, and that's what Netflix is really establishing themselves in. For the past couple of years, we've had things like Marriage Story, Tiger Tail, other stuff that just is nominated for best picture best actor best whatever and they're always nominated because they are actually putting money into properties that they're taking a chance on more and i really respect them for that and the one thing that probably isn't talked about enough but it should be is netflix a still has the biggest subscription base globally worldwide because it's been around the longest as well in terms of a a streaming platform they have all the data they know genres of what people are watching, what countries people are watching from. And if they see, you know, from their data and analytics that all of a sudden that the vast majority of their audience is gravitating towards Korean cinema or Indian cinema or European cinema, they are going to be more likely to greenlight and fund other projects from those territories and markets because clearly they have an inbuilt audience that's ready for more of that stuff, right? So I think Netflix is you know, still you know, a major player, you know, probably still up there. with For me, it's Disney Plus and Netflix. It's, those two are, are the kings right now in terms of the content that they have, the library that they have, and also the resources to con- continuously fund stuff. But you've got to give Netflix you know, a tip of the cap because they have to continuously find all these new projects because they don't have the IP history that some of the other streaming platforms have. Yeah, I really do. I give them huge props for that. Yeah. And it, the crazy thing is, like, we don't know, five years from now, ten years from now, this conversation could be very, very different. Yeah. It could be like, you never know when Netflix is going to become blockbuster, whereas every other studio is just like, fuck it, we're not going to help them anymore. They can do, like, just deal with original properties and we're just going to keep them all for ourselves and our own streaming properties. We don't know what 10 years is going to look like. Yeah. But it's it's going to be interesting. I really hope, I, I think Netflix is going to be an important part of, like, the studio system going forward. I just wonder where the sharing aspect of, like, everybody sharing their properties with each other, is that going to be something that sticks around? I really hope it does because I want everything consolidated as much as possible. Yeah, and just to kind of uh, bring it back to how we started this conversation off, how, how I mentioned, you know, Netflix they tend to have like one or two real big moments. They, they, they consistently come up and like, oh, there's a new trending show or a new trending movie. And then like once, maybe twice a year, they'll have a bona fide hit where like it's number one. It's like, you need to watch this this weekend. Don't go to the cinema. Don't do anything else. Watch this this weekend. And I feel like last year, they got two on their hands. One being Last Dance which was like the sports documentary of the year. And then we had The Queen's Gambit, which won so many awards. Obviously, it's a limited series. They're not going to be any sequels or anything like that. But it was original IP that Netflix produced. This year, it's Squid Game. Like when you look at Netflix 2021, the first thing you're going to think about is going to be Squid Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. And again, it's just it's interesting to see where this is going to go in the future because I feel like Netflix has become like this heavy hitter. And I really hope it not only is able to like have these massive properties, but on the other side, it's able to still take chances on smaller properties that are going to be more critically acclaimed as opposed to just massively successful commercially. Right. But yeah, I feel like that's everything we can talk about in terms of Squid Games. Let's uh, move on to our last section of our show. Let's get wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment. 
Again, if you were to go to Blockbuster and you were to, you know, check out Amy's pick or Andrew's pick, what is Sandu's pick this week? So when I looked at Squid Game, I really started to think about a movie that I don't know gets talked about enough. It's Battle Royale from 2000. I remember being in high school, about to start college, and I watched this movie and I was kind of blown away about it. Um, in the, it's set in the future and the Japanese government captures a class of ninth grade students and essentially forces them to kill each other under the revolutionary quote-unquote battle royale act. Now the, the crazy thing about battle royale is the timing couldn't have been any worse in terms of its release. It was released quite literally after the, the Columbine uh, massacre in the US. So it got a lot of harsh criticism at the time of its depiction of you know, really intense violence um, being perpetrated by high school students. But since its release, it's still slowly started to come, kind of almost get like a cult following. And honestly, in my opinion, without Battle Royale, you do not get Hunger Games. Hunger Games, the book, was first published in 2008. Battle Royale was released in 2000. Um, so when I was watching Squid Game, I was really thinking a lot about Battle Royale. I haven't seen it personally in a long time, um, so I'm going to try and watch it pretty soon. But if you haven't seen it, go out of your way. It's uh, honestly a, a landmark Japanese movie for me. Yeah, I think a lot of the influence of uh, Squid Games comes from Battle Royale too. So I think that's definitely like something that goes hand in hand. It's great to see where uh, a lot of that influence comes from. So definitely check that out. Uh, for me, it's just you're a fan of like what you got from Parasite right like I feel like we've kind of gone on this journey together where if you liked Parasite and you're like wait I want more and then you got Squid Games and you want more then check out 2018's Burning it's a little bit older than both properties obviously but it's you know just from a couple of years ago again it's called Burning it's a South Korean psychological thriller uh, it's just the next logical step on your next journey after that it's 95% on Rotten Tomatoes if that helps usher you into like checking it out, explores like similar themes of like classism and different societies that people live in within a single city. It also excels in creating like, like that feeling of unease that I talk about a lot. I just really enjoy that. It has an amazing cast. I could go on and on, but if you're just dipping into uh, international cinema, then this is something that's going to keep you going. So check it out, 2018's Burning. But uh, that's everything for this week. Jump where can anybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that do listen to us on the Apple Podcast platform, do us a favor, rate and review us. When you do that, it actually helps us and helps the show get found by new listeners. That's how the Apple Podcast algorithm works. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.